It's time for Americans to grow up and become financially responsible. Let's talk about something important. If you're in it for the money, that's not a bad thing. Do you realize how much money he just saved us? This is The Financial Physician with Lou Scatigna. The Financial Physician. It's the fastest hour in Money Talk Radio. It's also my pleasure to see to it that decent, hardworking people in this community aren't robbed blind by a pack of money-mad pirates. This is financial advice you can take to the bank. He's your money man. Show me the money. Your source for straightforward, no-nonsense financial advice. Bring me your money questions, because I'm here to help. And now, here he is, the financial physician, America's money doctor, Lou Scatigna. Greetings, my friends. Happy Sunday morning. If you're listening live here on 92.7 WOBM on the Jersey Shore, or whatever day or time you're listening to the podcast, welcome to our two-hour program where we talk money, markets, politics, and anything that affects your life. Lou Scatigna, your host, certified financial planner, and money doctor each and every Sunday, 7 to 9 here on WOBM. Hey, Paul, how you doing today? Good morning, Lou. Yeah, I was coming in today. It was cold. It was 37 degrees. Getting chilly. That's chilly. Yeah, beautiful full moon. Then we saw a nice sunrise here over the Toms River. So it should be a nice autumn day. Uh Nothing to talk about today. I, I shouldn't even do the show because nothing happened this week, and there's really nothing to talk about. So let's just say goodbye, run a commercial, and uh, and move on. Uh, uh, of course, I'm kidding. There's so much to talk about. Uh, if you want to join our program, if you have any comments or questions or uh, anything, 732-237-9626 is our call number. Where to start? That's the hardest part uh, of this um, you know, radio show prep, it, it just never ends because there's so many things to talk about that even quarter to five this morning, I'm printing stuff out and and, and getting ready for the show. And uh, I, I don't really know what to start with until the show starts. I, it's just kind of like a a game. Uh, as the game starts, we just jump into it. So let's uh, – got a lot of things to talk about. we got the markets to talk about. We have uh, the coming uh, nuclear Armageddon, according to our president, things that are going on in Ukraine, the inflation problem our debt just hit 31 trillion dollars uh rumors of banking collapses in europe uh uh the disaster that's the the biden administration so much to talk about but let's start off with something less stressful let's just talk about some basic estate planning things and mistakes that people are making uh i I was talking to one of my client's sons this week and my client she's been with me 30 years uh a wonderful lady uh she's 95 now she um she moved from tom's river to uh queens new york a couple of a couple of years ago and uh she's uh she's at the end right now and she's in um uh, i think hospice or something like that and the son called me which i've never talked to before now, this is an adult. It's not a, not a kid, obviously. He's 60 years old. Uh, and he calls me distressed, and he says that – and this happens in families a lot. He goes, you know, I don't know what's really going on, uh, but, you know, my my sister, uh, she's not married. She has this boyfriend she's been with for a long time, and uh, uh, he uh, – uh, she lives in his house across the street from my sister. She rents the, the little apartment above the garage for 2500 a month, by the way. Uh, and she, I believe he has a lot of influence over her. And he's worried that maybe he pulled some shenanigans with the will or something like that. And I had to try to calm him down. The guy's not sleeping at night. He's asking his sister uh, for a copy of the will. She does, says she doesn't know where it is, uh, which is a problem in and of itself. 
they're arguing about uh, should they give her, uh, put her on life support or just let her pass. He wants to let her pass. The the, the sister kind of agreed. Uh, then the boyfriend got in her ear and tried to talk her out of it. They had a big fight. I mean, these things happen in families all the time. And that's why it's so important that your affairs are in order. I mean, I know my client had a will because we talked about it. I don't have a copy of it. I didn't have nothing to do with it, but, I, you know, that's part of what we do when we're doing financial planning for people. Did, have you done your estate planning? You know, and she said, yeah, she had a will. But nobody knows where it is. And that happens a lot. I mean, you know, my mother-in-law passed. I was the executive of her will, but we couldn't find it. I mean, it was a big problem. And it happens all the time. There's no, they can't find a living will, which is real important here because that would determine what happens with the mother as opposed to the kids fighting about it. Uh, so it's so important, and I can't stress it enough, uh, that why do you want your family to blow up at the end of your life? And, and so many, this is just such a common story. And I, I don't bring it up just to single this family out. I, I, it's just a common story. We've all heard these things. And more families blow up because of, of, of issues regarding your end of life. So, yeah, it's great that you have a will, but where is it? And they still haven't been able to find it. Or, you know, this guy is thinking that maybe my sister hit it on me. And uh, that's not a good thing, obviously, if that's the case. Then there's something really you got to be concerned about. But I told him, I said, look, you know, there's two children here. You know, you're not going to be disinherited. If anybody pulled some shenanigans, you can contest the will. You're going you're gonna to be... Um, successful in that you can't just be disinherited for no reason you're not estranged or anything so i kind of put his mind to ease i think uh but now they got to try to find the will otherwise you got to go and have an administrator named you got to get a bond the whole thing is a mess so you want to make sure that um your affairs in order now one thing uh that they can't find as well is the power of attorney well, the power of attorney is a very important thing, and a lot of people are confused about it, you know, what it does, what it doesn't. Uh, it just gives somebody the ability to take care of your financial affairs. That is a medical power of attorney. That has to do with your making these decisions about life-saving, life-sustaining treatments at the end of your life. It names a power of attorney, a medical power of attorney, to make the ultimate decisions. Well, there is one of these around somewhere, but nobody could find it. So now you're going to have the family fight over, uh, uh, do we pull the plug or not? But let's talk about a financial power of attorney. All right? This gives somebody, could be anybody, the ability to make decisions about your finances. And they could do a lot of things. The power of attorney gives you a lot of rights. It gives you access. Uh, the person that gives the power of attorney is called the principal. The person who has the power of attorney and can act on a principal's behalf is called the agent, to use legal terms. So uh, when you have a power of attorney as an agent, it gives you access to the principal's financial accounts. So you could pay for their health care. You could pay for their housing, any of their bills. You could file taxes on their behalf. 
You can make investment decisions on their behalf. You could collect debts if money's owed them. You could manage their property. You could apply for uh, public benefits like Medicaid. And uh, it's a very important document. You've got to be sure that whoever you give this power to, that they have your best interest in mind. Now, a power of attorney, the agent is a fiduciary. Now, we're hearing that term fiduciary a lot lately because, you know, financial advisors now, most of them have to be fiduciaries. So what's the term fiduciary mean? I mean, they have to do things that are in your best interest, not theirs. So a lot of people have the misconception that a power of attorney could do anything. They really can't. You know, it has to be in the best interest of the principal that gave them that power. But they still could do a lot of things. And anybody violating their fiduciary duty could face criminal charges or be held in a, a civil lawsuit or something like that. So the fiduciary must act responsibly in a way that is fair to the person whose affairs they are managing. Uh, but there's certain things that a power of attorney can't do. Number one, it can't change the principal's will. Very important. You know, I've had powers of attorneys, you know, tell me that they were going to go change the will. No, no, you can't do that. You have no right to do that. Um, you can't uh, break the fiduciary duty to act in the principal's best interest, as I just said. You can't make any decisions on behalf of the principal after the death. The power of attorney loses its effectiveness and validity at the time of death. Now it transfers to the executor, who is named in a will, assuming you have a will and assuming the will can be found. You also, as power of attorney, can't transfer the power of attorney to somebody else. Now, if the agent doesn't want to do it anymore, they can decline their appointment, and now there's no power of attorney. Now, sometimes what people do, and I really don't like this, is they'll name both children the power of attorney. That complicates things. Sometimes what now we need two people to agree on everything that is done. Two people have to sign off on everything. Uh, uh, my one son lives in California. My, my daughter lives here in New Jersey. It's, it's a very, very messy thing, naming more than one person as the executor of your will, uh, uh, the power of attorney, uh, the, the medical power of attorney. You don't want to do that. You can name a contingent power of attorney. Meaning that if uh, the person that you name is unable to or unwilling to act as your power of attorney, uh, the contingent one would step in. That's a good thing to do. Uh, But a power of attorney, I've seen this abused so many times. Uh, I had a client who named their son power of attorney. And she found out. A month later, she had two properties, one here in New Jersey, one in Pennsylvania. She had four kids. Her will stated that everything she owns is split evenly amongst her four children. Well, the one son, who was the power of attorney for her, changed the deed in the Pennsylvania house to him. 
Is that legal? Yeah, it's legal. Uh, it's certainly legal. But is it? Can you argue that he wasn't acting as a fiduciary and doing what's the best interest of the mother? Uh, well, uh, the mother's will uh, was that her four children share equally in her wealth. And this guy basically stole it from his children. He had the power to do it. Now, if you're one of the children disinherited from that house, now you have a legal struggle to prove that the power of attorney uh, wasn't acting as a fiduciary. And that costs money. It takes time. Obviously, the family's going to be fractured at that point. Very, very important that you think these things through. Now, one of the things you want for any of these people, power of attorney, medical power of attorney, uh, executor of your will, who do you pick? Now, don't make an arbitrary designation. A lot of people do this. Well, uh, my oldest son, you know, he's the oldest. I should give it to him. Well, maybe he's not responsible enough to take care of the actions that you need him to take care of. Maybe he has no financial acumen at all. He wouldn't know how to handle your investment accounts or your tax return. Give that power to somebody who is capable of executing it. And again, as I said before, don't name multiple agents. You got to pick one person. Now, a lot of parents say, well, I'm concerned that if I name one, the other ones are going to be hurt, whatever. You still have to name one. And tell them all why you chose that person. Now, ideally, that person is going to be responsible, trustworthy, and local. You don't want your power of attorney to be 2,000 miles away from you. It's, it's, It's not functional at that point. And you want to pick the best person for today. Who today is the best person? Now, if that person is not the best person tomorrow, you change these things. And that's the thing about powers of attorney, medical power of attorney, executives. You could change these things at any time. And you should when things change. You name your eldest son as your executor of power of attorney. Uh, he moves from uh, New Jersey, where you live, to California. Uh, so you name your daughter, who lives close to you. You change it, as long as you're competent enough to do that. You know, over the next 10 to 20 years, uh, trillions and trillions of dollars are going to transfer generation to generation. And that's why more and more, you know, estate planning is becoming a really big part of the financial planning field. As more and more baby boomers age, people have a lot more wealth now than they did 20, 30 years ago. Finances are more complicated. And it's really important uh, that your estate planning is correct. And so many people make mistakes. I see the worst mistakes and the most costly mistakes done at the end of your life. Let's talk about an example. I mentioned it a couple of months back on this show. Uh, I had a client, one of our loyal listeners, lovely man, came to see me with his wife. He's 80 years old. 
And he said, Lou, my health is deteriorating. I'm not long for this world. My wife knows nothing about finances. I've been listening to you for 15 years. I would like you to be my financial advisor and make sure that you take care and make sure my wife is taken care of properly and that her finances are, man- her finances are managed uh, properly. I trust you out of all the advisors I've, I've ever heard. Uh, would you please take me on? And of course we did. And we transferred uh, three, $400,000 in investments that he had uh, and moved it to us. Shortly thereafter, a couple of years later, he died. So now we're dealing with the, with the widow. Uh, we change all the accounts into her name. And her health was starting to deteriorate. So I'm thinking about how we're going to protect this estate from potential nursing home costs later on, uh, protect the estate for her four children. So I said, you know, maybe you should consider, you know, gifting, you know, your personal account uh, to one of your children and get it out of your name and start the five year look back period. She goes, Lou, that makes a great, great amount of sense to me. I, I'd hate to see all the money my husband worked for his whole life disappear uh, to nursing home. And that's a big fear that we all have. That comes up in every first appointment I have with older clients is, you know, what about nursing home? How do I protect this? I have a friend or a family member that lost everything. We all know the nightmare stories of what happens in nursing homes and the cost and all that stuff. So I said, do you have, you know, your children? Now, now when we, we start talking about these things, I have to ask a lot of nosy questions. I said, well, what child do you think is most responsible or local that you would want to do this with? Uh, she goes, ah, my, my, my one son lives locally, um, and um, I think he'd be the one. All right, bring him in. Let's talk. Well, before he came in, I asked her, I said, is he trustworthy? Is he going to do the right thing by his brothers and sisters? Uh, uh, Is he uh, financially set? I mean, you know, you don't want to give, you know, $300,000 and put it in the name of one of your children who's in financial distress or or who has credit problems or marital problems or anything like that or gambling problems or drug problems. You know, you have to. I ask all these questions. Yeah. Is his son? a substance abuser, or a gambler, or any other vice? What's his financial situation? Does he have debt? What's his marital situation? Now, these are things you wouldn't think that a financial advisor would be asking you, but it has to be asked. It's part of financial planning. It's part of this end-of-life planning. And then we decide. Now, most of the time, this works out fine. The parent dies. The one son, the money's in his name. He shares it with his three brothers and sisters. And that's the end of it. If five years go by and the mother needs a nursing home, she'll qualify for Medicaid and protect that estate for her children. But what happened in this case? What happened in this case? I get a phone call. No, I get a notice that the account is being transferred. Now, it's in the son's name now at my firm. That the account's being transferred to some other place. And it disturbed me because, wait, wait a second here. This is the mother's money that the dad, you know, that, that her husband wanted me to manage till she died. I just moved it into his name to protect the estate for him and his brothers and sisters. 
Uh, but he had other ideas. So I call the mother and say, you know, your son's transferring this account out, you know. You know, I made a promise to your husband that, you know, I was going to take care of you, manage your money for you. I don't know what's going on here. Are you aware of this? She goes, yeah, I'm aware of it. Yeah, he was pressuring me and pressuring me to, to, to deal with his guy. All right, and this is what you want to do? And she said yes. So the next day, I get a phone call from the son who's infuriated that I talked to somebody else about his account. Now, technically, he's right. I mean, once the money's gifted to him in his name, it's his money. And technically, I'm not supposed to talk to anybody else about it, but I didn't care. I felt the right thing to do was at least let the mother know that he was doing this. It's our money. Not technically, but it is. So we, we, we moved it to his name for estate planning purposes. And boy, was he living with me. Nasty. Cursing at me. I had to hang up the phone on him. And I told him, I said, wait a second. I said, this doesn't smell right. I said, I made a promise to your dad. You know, he came to me uh, to take care of your mother. And now you're taking this money out. I was the one who suggested to you to put it in your name to protect your inheritance. And now you have a problem with me. So the fact that he was angry that I talked to his mother, my radar went up. There's something untoward going on here. I don't know what it is. But there was nothing I could do about it, right? It's his money. He could do whatever he wants. So he transfers it out. And uh, I don't hear from the mother for a year and a half. Then the mother calls my office recently. And she says, shortly after we moved the money into my son's name, he died of cancer. And apparently... The money was jointly with his wife. So now his wife has the money. And the wife won't tell the mother-in-law where the money is uh, and apparently has no intention of sharing it with his brothers and sisters when the mother dies. And she's distraught. And she asked me what she could do. And I said, you can't do anything. I asked you if your son was trustworthy, if he would do the right thing, and apparently what he did, he knew he was dying, and he wanted to take care of his wife, and to hell with his siblings, and he put it joint with her. Now, even if it wasn't joint with her, she would get it if his will said everything goes to my wife, which everybody's will says, right? Now, he should have changed his will and said, if I predecease." Uh, my mother or, or my brothers and sisters, uh, if I die, just if I die, this account is split amongst my three brothers and sisters. That's what he should have done. I mean, that would be the proper thing to do, but he didn't. And I get just by my conversations with him, by the way, I had two or three conversations with the guy was a real jerk, probably the biggest jerk I've ever dealt with in my 40 year career. And I've had a lot of jerks I've dealt with in families. Trust me on that one. But this guy was a real jerk. Uh, and I was certain that he was doing something untoward with his family, and I couldn't do a thing about it. And I felt impotent. And it really bothered me because it was my suggestion that she transfer that money to one of her children's accounts or names. And this is things that can happen if you don't do the proper estate planning, you don't think things through.
And uh, as f- apparently, as far as I know, she's made no um, no progress with the sister, the daughter-in-law. And the daughter-in-law has no legal obligation to do anything. Has no legal obligation to even talk to the mother-in-law. No legal obligation to split this money with his brothers and sisters. And most likely will keep it all for herself. Totally screwing the mother's children out of their inheritance. So make sure you think these things through. And I, this is relatively rare in my career. I, I haven't seen too many of these situations, but they happen all the time. Money makes people crazy. Trust me on this one. I've seen it all. In my 40 years of financial, I've seen it all. I've seen the worst in people when it comes to money. A close-knit family that was close their whole lives, 60 years, money gets involved, an inheritance, uh, this kind of situation, and the family disintegrates, becomes estranged. Who's suing who and everything else? I hear this all the time. People uh, don't trust their brothers and sisters. Uh, I haven't heard, you know, where's the will, this, that. And then you start thinking, well, he's the executor. He's going to steal money. All this kind of stuff goes on. Now, thankfully, in most families, this is not an issue. I mean, everything is done right and it's unfair. Uh, The vast majority of people, obviously, are good people and wouldn't screw their brothers and sisters. Uh, But again, money makes people do things uh, that they normally wouldn't do. And... The saying in the Bible, you know, it, the love of the money is the root of all evil. A lot of people get that mistake. It's not money is the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. And that's why you have to vet, think it through, make sure you're doing the right thing. When you transfer funds or you transfer the deed in your house to somebody. Another big mistake people make uh, at the end of their lives uh, is instead of giving a power of attorney to somebody, what they do is they put their name on the account. Oh, I put my daughter's name on my investment account because, you know, um, my health is not good. I can't deal with the broker anymore. She's going to take care of it, blah, 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 blah. But meanwhile, her will says three children share equally in her uh, assets. But meanwhile, she just disinherited her kids because by title... She's the survivor on that account. She gets the money. Her brothers and sisters could do nothing. Now, she could do the right thing and gift the money to her brothers and sisters, but she's not legally obligated to do so. And I'll never forget this, this example. It's over 20 years old. Uh, husband and wife comes to see me. The mother had recently died. The, daughter, uh, the wife's mother had recently died, and they wanted me to help settle the estate. I said, okay, let me see the will. The will states my assets are to be split equally amongst my two children. So I said to the daughter, I said, well, what are the assets? She goes, a $900,000 Merrill Lynch account and a $300,000 home. Okay, let me see the statement from the Merrill Lynch account. Well, the Merrill Lynch account had the mother's name and the daughter's name on it. And by the way, the daughter's name was also on the deed of the house. I don't know why they did that, but she did that as well as a joint owner. So I told the daughter, I said, 
by title, the will has no effect. The will, the will doesn't affect things that are jointly held. It moves to the survivor on the account, bypassing the will and disinheriting your brother. So you are, uh, are the sole beneficiary of a million three, whatever it was. Well, her husband almost fell off his chair. But Now, I had to talk to her after that. Did she do the right thing or not? I don't know. But she doesn't have to. She doesn't have to. Legally, she does not have to. So get proper advice. Make sure you know your family and you know them very well. Discuss these things with everybody in the family. I always say, you know, if you do something in your will, like say, uh, well, 70% of my assets are going to my daughter because she struggles and, you know, she has three kids. My son's a doctor. He doesn't need the money, so I'm only going to give him 30%. Make sure he knows that. Don't let him find out after you die and have hard feelings to his sister and to you. Explain. Say, John, right? You know, you're doing well. I'm going to give most of the, the my estate to your sister. She really needs it. She's got the kids and everything else. It's a lot better doing it that way than finding out after you die when the will is written. In my book, I write, the will is a terrible place to keep secrets. Now, a lot of people don't like to discuss this stuff with their kids. They're very, very private. They don't want to bring up money. You know, I have, I have clients, you know, I had a client recently that has $2 million. She's got two or three kids. And I said, does your children know how much money you have? She goes, no. I go, why not? Well, uh, I don't know. I don't think they need to know everything about my finances. Well, you're towards the end of your life right now. Don't you think it's a good time to sit down with your family and have this discussion? People are very, very strange when it comes to money, especially the older people. They come from a different school. You know, nowadays, I would think people are a little more flexible uh, about discussing this stuff with their kids. But the real older people, the people in their 80s and 90s, you know, they're a different generation. But that's another thing at the end of your life. A good thing to do is have a family meeting. And discuss the will, where it is, the power of attorney, who's named, the executor who's named, and why. Your medical power of attorney. Another thing to discuss or write it down is uh, the little things that aren't in the will. Who gets what? I tell you, more people fight over dad's golf clubs. Or the picture hanging over the, uh, the fireplace that's been there for 30 years. Uh, than money sometimes. <laughs> mom's wedding ring you got two daughters right who gets mom's wedding ring well you better you better write that down or discuss it with them why who's getting it and why i have a form a template that i've written uh called the estate letter of instruction i did it 25 years ago uh and it basically states all your accounts, where they are, where your will is, where your safe deposit box is, anybody who owes you money, uh, any debts that you have. It's a real good resource, trust me. Your loved ones will love this when you pass. When you have that family meeting, you, you, you give them that or tell them where it is, you discuss it with them. So important to do this. Now, I do this in my office a lot with my clients. And I'll sometimes suggest it myself. 
I'll tell my client. Now, you never need to do this when you're still married, okay? If you're still both married, this is not the time to have that discussion. It's when you're single. Because when you're married, the spouse is going to get everything. The spouse is going to be your executive. The spouse, chances are everything's jointly held anyway or have beneficiaries on your IRA or so forth. It's always the spouse. There's no real generational wealth transfer here. One spouse is going to make medical decisions for the other. The children aren't involved in this. But when I have a widow or a widower, they're old, their health is declining, I tell them, look, let's have a family meeting. And let's discuss all of this. And we do have that family meeting with all the children. Now, sometimes all the children can't come to my office, so we put them on a conference call on the speakerphone. And we discuss all these things. But most importantly, who's going to do what and why? Who's going to get what and why? This is what I want done to me or not done to me at the end of my life. And this is where all these important documents are. It's amazing how many people don't do that. Estate planning is a very important part of financial planning. We're doing a lot of it now as my clients now are entering. The, my clients that have been with me decades are now passing on. Uh, we do a lot of this end-of-life planning, and it's amazing how many mistakes people make. All right, time for a break. 732-237-9626 is the call number. My name's Lou Skatigna. Don't go away. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, a family-owned and operated premier septic installation and repair company with more than a decade of experience in the septic services. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer provides full-service maintenance and cleaning services, pumping septic tanks, repairing broken sewer lines, cleaning of grease tanks for restaurants, as well as real estate septic inspections, repairs, and installations. Phone 732-600-8721 or go to jerseyshoreseptic.com to learn more. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, top quality work at the most affordable rates. Although customers were already going online more and more over the past five years, the amount of people doing business online has skyrocketed since the pandemic hit. Visit mylocalcustomers.com. Hi, Sean Michaels to tell you if you're a business owner here at the Jersey Shore, Town Square can help you find local customers online. Town Square can help you grow your business faster. Premium website services, new leads every day, no contracts, subscriptions you can cancel anytime. Visit mylocalcustomers.com. That's mylocalcustomers.com. For details. Do you have a home to sell? Do you need to buy a home? Or maybe you would like to consider a career in real estate? Well, you need to contact my brother, Mark Skatigna. He's the broker manager of Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty on Route 70 in Manchester. Mark has helped so many of my clients with either the sale of their home or to purchase a new home. All of them could not have been happier with his help. What about an exciting new career in real estate? Maybe you're finding you have more time on your hands than you would like to after retiring from your full-time job and are also looking to make some extra income. With flexible hours to still enjoy your free time and income, that could be limitless. Mark could train you to be as successful as you would like to be and enjoy a rewarding career in real estate. For help with any of your real estate needs, as well as any information on a career in real estate, call my brother Mark Skatigna at Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty. His number is 732-657-6200. That's 732-657-6200. Mark Skatigna, Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty. Give him a call. You'll be happy you did. 
Are you currently retired or planning to retire in the next five years? Hey, Lou Scatigna here, certified financial planner, personal finance author, president of AFM Investments, and host of The Financial Position. Why not join me for a comprehensive financial review at my downtown Tom's River office? Banks are paying virtually nothing, and the stock market has become a risky casino. But there are ways to achieve reasonable returns without taking on big risks. Let me show you how. During our meeting, I will determine your net worth, find ways to maximize your income, and minimize your taxes. I'll review your estate plan and discuss strategies to protect your estate from nursing home costs. Managing your finances is more complicated than ever, but you don't have to go it alone. So make your no-obligation appointment today by calling 732-905-8100. That's 732-905-8100. Securities transactions through Lee Baldwin & Company member FINRA and SIPC. Registered advisory services through Fortitude Advisory Group. Call the financial physician now at 732-237-9626. Here's Luz Katigna. All right, welcome back to the financial physician. We get together each and every Sunday for two hours of money, markets, politics, and anything that affects your life. Podcast is always available at thefinancialphysician.com. It's available right after the show is over, uh, so if you miss any of the program, you get up late, you're just tuning in now, or... Uh, uh, you go to church or whatever reason that you can't listen live Sunday morning, uh, go to thefinancialphysician.com and listen to the podcast. Now, we had a huge amount of downloads last week of the podcast. Uh, maybe it was the content. Uh, we talked about a lot of crazy stuff last week uh, about banks and about uh, uh, everything was so dire in the show last week. And uh, uh, I, I wanted to puke when I listened to the recording of the show, when I listened to the podcast. It was Pretty dire. I got a lot of feedback from emails and phone calls from people uh, about it, and um, and uh, a lot of people shared it uh, with other people. And we, we welcome you doing that uh, because we talk about things on this program that you don't hear elsewhere. And everything I talk about here is factual. I don't make stuff up. I don't predict stuff. I, I look at what's actually happening. I'll give you my opinion about the future and things like that. But but what I'm telling you uh, for the most part is absolutely factual. Now, sometimes it's inconvenient or uncomfortable and uh, uh, not politically correct, but it is what it is. So never miss a minute of this program and share it with everybody you think could benefit by it. So go to thefinancialphysician.com. At the top, you'll see radio. Just click on that tab uh, and uh, you'll go right to the podcast. Also, if you want to listen live, but you're not in our listening area, uh, we have people listen all across the country to this radio show, uh, even other countries as well. Uh, and you, if you want to listen live and you're up, uh, just go to the com and hit listen live button and you'll get the live stream uh, from the station uh, of the program. So uh, I was doing, I'm going to do my best to not be too dire this week because it was pretty negative last week, but it's impossible. It's not possible. There's too many things happening that I got to talk about, and they're all bad. And that's that's the crazy thing. You know, you try to find something optimistic and good, and there is nothing to be found that resembles that. At least not in the financial political realm. Let's talk about financial markets this week. What a roller coaster. I mean, last week I was telling you that, you know, we're hearing rumors of bank failures and so forth. And and certainly there is, certainly in Europe. Uh, uh, we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, um, but the markets, amazingly, on Monday morning, were rocketing higher. 
I was like, what? You know, rumors of bank failures. We had bonds crashing in England on Friday, and the the Bank of England had to come out and reverse themselves and start quantitative easing and buying up billions and billions of uh, bonds because the pension system in uh, Great Britain was hours away from collapsing because all these pensions and insurance companies had tons of bonds that were crashing, and they were leveraged. They had borrowed money to leverage these bonds, and as the market was going down, they were getting margin calls. They were forced to sell more bonds, which was just exacerbating the thing. The Bank of England came out and said, wait, we'll buy everything. And the markets reversed, and the bond market was saved, and the pension system in England was saved. At what price? Inflation. Okay. So I wake up Monday morning, after having this terribly dire forecast for the markets, and I see the bond market is rising, interest rates are plummeting, the stock market futures are rising, and I'm saying to myself, what is going on here? Well, what's going on here, uh, and nobody will admit this, but I'm going to tell you my hypothesis, is the Federal Reserve joined the Bank of England and started buying up the bond market because we were having the same problems here in the United States. We have pension funds that are highly leveraged to the bond market. Not only were, were, were uh, uh, British gilts dropping, U.S. Treasury bonds have been dropping <coughs> substantially. And it was causing stress within our pension system. So the Federal Reserve, uh, uh, without admitting it, had to be in the bond market. You don't have that kind of buying in bonds uh, from investors. I didn't buy any bonds. Paul, did you any buy any bonds Monday? No. Uh, who's buying it? The world doesn't want our junk bonds. So the only buyer has got to be the Federal Reserve. So interest rates dropped from what was 4% on Friday down to as low as 3.6% Monday morning. The stock futures were higher. The market closed up on Monday 765 points to Dow. A huge move higher. And that was followed Tuesday by almost 600 points higher. So we had a 5 to 6% move in the market up in two days. And bonds yields were down to 3.6%. Now, everybody was giddy on Wall Street, on CNBC and Fox Business. They were all saying, ooh, maybe the bottom's in. We should come in and start buying. Well, the bottom wasn't in. Because the rest of the week, we gave almost all of it back. On Wednesday, uh, the market was down 42 points after being higher. Uh, On Thursday, it was down 354 points. On Friday, the market closed down 630 points. As people realized, the problems that are causing the market decline had not gone away. Now, those two days, Monday and Tuesday, when you had 765 points up and 598 points up, that is not good. What do you mean, Lou? It's not good. It's not good. That's volatility. Those are uh, uh, outsized moves in the market. You know the biggest moves up in the market are in bear markets? Because people believe the worst is over, and they're all trying to buy bargains, and they all and, and then you have short covering, you have oversold conditions, which certainly the market is or has been. I mean, you have uh, NASDAQ down over 30%. You know, I mean, it's an oversold condition. Dow down 20 all right, so uh, markets are oversold. People are looking for any hope that uh, that the markets are done with their bear market, which it's not. 
and certainly won't be until the Fed stops raising interest rates or starts pivoting and lowering them, which doesn't look like it's going to happen anytime soon. These are not healthy moves in the market. You could look at it, think of it as an EKG. You don't want these big ups and downs. That's what you see prior to a heart attack. So where people are giddy and say, I'm getting emails from people, Lou, you had such a dire forecast on on Sunday, and look, the markets are rebounding. I said, no. I said, no, this is not good. And this is very typical of very bad bear markets. The biggest moves up historically, statistically, are in a bear market. And then the real whoosh to the downside happens. And the fact that the the, the market gave back virtually all of it, almost all of it, uh, in the three days ending the week is very, very bad. Very bad. A failed rally is worse than no rally at all. So volatility is here. This is October. These are the market. These are the months the markets crash. Will it crash? I don't know. For the week, the Dow was up 1.99%. After all that. And that's because we were up so much on Monday and Tuesday, we didn't give it all back. But year to date, the Dow is still down 19.38%. The S&P 500 for the week was up 1.51%. Uh, still down uh, almost 24% for the year. NASDAQ um, was only up 0.73%, three quarters of 1%. It was down 4% on Friday. Uh, and down 32% for the year. Now, the 10-year Treasury bond, which on Tuesday had dropped to 3.57% yield, that's what everybody was giddy about. Ooh, the bond market stopped going down. Interest rates are starting to come down. Maybe the Fed's going to start lowering rates, blah, 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 blah. Well, the 10-year Treasury yield ended the week at 3.9%. Went the other way. So we saw um, a big drop in yields on Monday and Tuesday. That rallied the market. We saw an increase in yields later in the week, which brought the market down. And now my guess is I'd be, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, we're over 4% in the 10-year very shortly. Now, it was announced this week, uh, um, OPEC, OPEC Plus, uh, Russia and the other ones, uh, just uh, gave Joe Biden the middle finger. And it wasn't long ago that Joe Biden was fist pumping the Saudi Arabian (coughs) sheik uh, and begging him to uh, increase oil output, where now um, they came out and said they're going to cut 2 million barrels a day. Now, the rumor was they were going to cut 1 million barrels a day. They surprised the markets and came out with 2 million barrels a day. What we have going on here, now this is at the behest of Russia, okay? Russia is now part of the OPEC, and Saudi Arabia is now aligned with Russia. There's a whole new axis being formed uh, geopolitically, economically, and that is Russia, India, China, South Africa, Saudi Arabia, Brazil. All these BRIC countries are coming together. They're forming a new alliance economically, and they're coming with their own currency shortly. And you have Russia and China uh, hoarding gold and everything else, and they're going to come out one day and announce that they're going to have a gold-backed currency, and the U.S. dollar will lose its reserve status. That's what's happening here. 
And we're entering a new OPEC oil crisis. Uh, it's kind of like that 70s show. Paul, you're old enough to remember this. You remember when we had odd and even gas lines? You remember that? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you'd wait online for an hour. And, and the way that works for you younger people who don't remember that uh, is that uh, if, you, if your license plate ended in an odd number, you could only get online for gasoline on Wednesday, uh, Friday, and Sunday. Uh, if you had an even number, you went the other days. There were still shortages, uh, and you still had to wait online. I remember Route 9 in Howell when I was growing up. The line went right down Route 9, the shoulder, for like an hour. It was just unbelievable. That's the oil crisis. We're heading towards that again. Now, we had Biden, you know, destroy our oil production. Uh Oh, this seems like a part of a grand plan, if you ask me. But uh, destroyed our oil production. Now we're dependent again on OPEC when just two years ago we were oil independent. And now OPEC just humiliated President Biden on a global scale, uh, humiliated the United States. They would never have done this if he wasn't the president. Uh, and, of course, oil prices skyrocketed. Uh, oil is up uh, on Friday. A barrel of oil went up four dollars and seventy-five cents to ninety-three twenty. If you recall, oil was down to eighty-one dollars a barrel just Monday. So we had a fifteen percent increase in the price of oil in one week. You want to talk about a destabilizing move uh, in markets, and that's going to translate into higher gasoline prices, and we're seeing it already. I drove in today, uh, three sixty-nine. At the Wawa by my house, it was three fifty one on Monday. I wouldn't be surprised if we're not over four by the end of the week next week, and we'll go in there again. Now, of course, you know Biden's furious about this because you know they're trying to get these gasoline prices down before the election, and now gas prices are riding up again. But make no mistake, uh, uh, this was done to hurt the United States, and this is Russia. Now, I don't know if you recall, and I talked about it on the show, uh, a little over a year ago, or was it a year and a half ago, Saudi Arabia and Russia signed a, an alliance together. And I said this was really earth-shattering at the time, because Saudi Arabia was aligned with the United States. We provided them with protection. We provided them with weapons. And now they align themselves with Russia, and I said, this can't be a good thing. Well, now we know it can't be. Now, meanwhile, what's uh, the Biden administration's response to this, besides uh, panic, is they said they're going to release 10 million more barrels of oil from our strategic petroleum reserve in November. They've been draining our emergency reserve. It's incredible. It's the lowest level in 40 years, and they're going to continue to do it, at least until the election, to try to dampen gasoline prices. I mean, we started the year uh, at almost 700 million barrels. We're down to 350. They've cut it in half, and they're still doing it. I mean, this is dangerous. I mean, the whole purpose of a strategic oil reserve is shortages, whether it's a war or it's OPEC uh, embargoing us, whatever. And here we are draining it now for political purposes. This is ridiculous. And it is for political purposes. Don't get me wrong. Um, Talk about canceling the Keystone Pipeline and leases and all that. Talk about an outrageous uh, and and self-destructive thing this is. Um, 
So it was announced just hours after uh, OPEC announced this, trying to circumvent uh, a spike in gas prices ahead of the elections. Uh, but this is totally dangerous uh, for us. It really is. Um, let's go back to the markets. Uh, gold, $1,701. Uh, finally turned around. It was in the mid-1600s. was as high as 1730 before going down a bit on Friday. Uh, silver had a big move on Monday. It was up 8% in one day. Uh, silver now a little over $20. was uh, over 21 at one point until it came back on, on Friday. Uh, I believe we're at the beginnings of a major movement in the precious metals. Major movement. Uh, Bitcoin is kind of stuck in a 1900 to 20,000 range, 19,500 when I checked yesterday. 30 year fixed mortgage, stubbornly high still, hit over seven uh, during the week. Uh, the average at the end of the week was 6.66%. Uh, God, it wasn't long ago, it was 3%, right? And this is affecting the housing market in such a dramatic way. People now are lowering, people in the the real estate industry saying they can't believe how business is falling off a cliff. Worse yet, in the mortgage industry, I mean, mortgage companies are going under. They have no business. People are being laid off like crazy. Uh, And housing drives everything because it drives furniture sales, it drives lumber sales, and all that other stuff. Uh, So this this is a big deal. And this is what the Fed wants. They want asset prices to go down. They want the stock market to go down. They want your 401k to go down. They want you to feel poor so you stop buying things. But that's not going to help. Yeah, it's going to help you know, asset prices like the stock market or the mortgage market, but it's not going to stop food prices from going up. It's not going to stop energy prices from going up. And energy flows through to everything. Let's look at a mortgage now. Let's say you were going to buy a $400,000 home, and you're going to put 20% down. So you're going to take on a $320,000 mortgage. 20% of $400,000 is $80,000. That's your down payment, and you're going to borrow $320,000. Now, at 3%, which is where we were not long ago, a 30-year fixed rate 3% mortgage, your payment is $1,349 a month. Just say less than a year ago. That same house now, if you're going to buy it and borrow 320000 at today's mortgage rates, it's $2,063 a month. You're going to pay $714 a month for 30 years, assuming you don't refinance at some point along the way, for that same house. That's 53% more. So how could housing prices not come down? I mean, people can't afford to buy the houses at those prices anymore. Now, adjustable rate mortgages are making a big comeback right now. (coughs) A three-year adjustable rate mortgage right now is only 2.34%. Now, you're you're, you're gambling that interest rates aren't going to go higher after three years. But I think that's a pretty good move. That's a pretty good bet to make, I would think, that, you know, within three years. And even if it does go up, say it goes up to six, well, you would have paid 6.69 for those three years if you took a fixed rate right now. So you have a lot of extra money in your pocket to handle the higher interest rates. 
and a lot of people looking at it. 12% of mortgages issued recently um, are adjustable rate. And there was almost, adjustable rates were almost non-existent when we had 3% 30-year fix. It would be crazy to get an adjustable rate um, when uh, you could lock in a fixed 3%. So these interest rates are starting to filter through. Now, these declines in the markets that I was telling you about before uh, is really having a drastic effect on seniors. You know, I was in my, uh, I live in a retirement community. Uh, I'm one of the younger guys there, obviously. I'm only 62, and there's older guys there. So I'm working out, and there's a couple of gentlemen in there, probably in their mid-70s, and I hear them talking to each other. Oh, my God, Joe, my portfolio's down 40%. Oh, mine, too. I'm down 35%, you know, but it'll come back. You know, you could, you could hear the hope in their, in, in, their, um, uh, in their voice. And I don't say it. I didn't say anything. I didn't want to discourage them. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it may come back. Uh, I don't know if it'll come back in your lifetime, uh, but uh, maybe in mine. Now, Ted Cruz came out recently, uh, and he talked about how seniors are being hurt by the policies of the Biden administration and how it's hurting them in their investments. Hey, there's another aspect of this that doesn't get uh, observed nearly frequently enough, which is the devastating impact the Biden economy has had on seniors. There, there are tens of millions of seniors in America who worked for decades, who saved, who were responsible, and, and who retired and have retirement savings. They have 401ks. And what has Joe Biden done? His disastrous policies have caused the value of their 401ks to drop 20%, 30%, maybe even 40%. So suddenly you have seniors that are looking at a much smaller nest egg. And at the same time, every single cost they have has skyrocketed. And, and this disaster, it, it, it is truly unprecedented. So uh, that's he's absolutely right. Uh, too many people, uh, especially seniors, have been overexposed to risk. Not my clients, but a lot of investors, senior investors, love the party of the market, uh, maybe had uh, 70, 80 percent of their money in the stock market. And even if they were in a bond market, that wasn't a place to hide because that lost tons, too. Uh, but really, uh, seniors are now looking at two things. They're looking at the price of everything going up and their, 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 their net worth going down. It's a terrible, terrible equation there. One good thing, um, it looks like um, your Social Security cost of living is going to go up about 9% next year. The biggest increase maybe ever, or at least in 50 years. But that's not a good thing. Because inflation is much higher than that for seniors. So you're not getting ahead. And at the same time, it's making uh, the Social Security system more insolvent. That's a whole other story. This week, um, this week uh, uh, they're going to announce the uh, CPI, I think Tuesday or Wednesday. I expect it to moderate a little bit. Why do I expect it to moderate a little bit? Uh, gasoline prices in September came down significantly. And also, we're starting to see housing prices come down, which goes into that equation. So we may see some moderating of, of, uh, of inflation for September, but, you know, gasoline and oil prices are skyrocketing now. So October will just go the other way. And Biden will come out and say, see, uh, inflation is going down.
And of course, it's going to be uh, the last CPI before um, the election. So they're going to want that to look like it's going in the right direction. So don't trust any economic number that comes out of government. But I expect it to moderate a little bit. But that's going to be the final CPI that's going to go into the the COLA uh, calculation for Social Security. But no matter what it is, uh, I expect uh, anywhere between 8.6 or 7 to 9.2% increase in your Social Security next year. Now, normally, that's offset by an increase in your Medicare Part B premiums. But this time, there's good news here. Medicare Part B premiums are dropping for next year. For the first time, I think, ever. The new monthly premium is going to be $164.90, a decrease of $5.20 per month. Now, that's not a life-changing event for anybody, but at least they're not eating into your COLA increase by taking some of it with a premium increase. Uh, We were at $170.10 for 2022. Now, why are they dropping this all of a sudden? It has to do with the cost of the drug Aduhelm. Aduhelm is used to treat Alzheimer's disease. And the Medicare program paid a lot less than expected for this drug because the manufacturer dropped it from something like $10,000 a dose uh, to $5,000. How nice of them to do so. Uh, so there, you get relief from that because they predicted it was going to spend a lot more money, so they're giving it back to you. Now, this will take effect, obviously, in January 2023. Uh, also, the amount of income you could earn before the premiums go up uh, is going to rise from uh, 91000 to 97000 um, from 2022 to 2023. So 6000 more you could earn as a single person. If you're married, it's going to go from 182000 to 194000 And this will allow more people to take advantage of the standard rate uh, than paying the next tier higher based on your income. So that's a good thing. So some good news for seniors, but not real good news. All right, top of the hour, 732-237-9626 is the call number. My name's Luz Katigna. Don't go away. It's time for Americans to grow up and become financially responsible. Let's talk about something important. If you're in it for the money, that's not a bad thing. Do you realize how much money he just saved us? This is The Financial Physician with Lou Scatigna. The Financial Physician. It's the fastest hour in Money Talk Radio. It's also my pleasure to see to it that decent, hardworking people in this community aren't robbed blind by a pack of money-mad pirates. This is financial advice you can take to the bank. He's your money man. Show me the money. Your source for straightforward, no-nonsense financial advice. Bring me your money questions, because I'm here to help. And now, here he is, the financial physician, America's money doctor, Lou Scatigna. All right, time for hour two of the financial physician. We get together for two precious hours of money talk, political talk here every Sunday live on 92.7 WOBM or anytime at the podcast at thefinancialphysician.com. That was a quick hour, Paul. I don't know where it went. You know, when I start the show, it's kind of daunting because I said I got two hours ahead of me. How am I going to do this? Uh, Before I know it, the first hour is over and then the second hour rips by and I haven't touched 
a third of what I have here. But anyway, it's hour two, 732-237-9626. If you missed anything in hour one, go to thefinancialposition.com and just bring up the podcast. It's up right after the show is over. And uh, so many of you listen to the podcast. And I, we're the number one financial podcast of Podomatic, and that's because of you guys. Thanks so much for for, uh, for uh, listening to it and, and sharing it with other people. Put it on your social media. Say you should listen to this. Everybody, I think, could benefit by knowing the things that we talk about here uh, on The Financial Physician. Now, last week, um, I caused a lot of... Uh, uh, what's the word? I don't know what to say. Uh, I got a lot of feedback from yesterday, the last week's show. Let's just say that uh, when I was talking about banks and the rumors of bank failures and uh, the safety of banks and things like that. And then I, I, I told you I heard rumblings uh, that there is a, a bank problem, namely in Europe. But a bank problem in Europe is a bank problem here. All banks are tied together. We're counterparties to all these banks here. And uh, it came out on Monday or over the weekend uh, that uh, Credit Suisse. Uh, one of the big, too big to fail banks in Europe uh, is pretty close to having a Lehman moment, uh, meaning that they're in trouble. And if you recall, it was the collapse of Lehman Brothers 14 years ago that that sent a massive wave of panic through all the, the global financial markets and was the key event that plunged us into the uh, financial crisis that we still talk about today and we're still getting over today. Well, now even a larger bank than Lehman appears to be on the brink of collapse. And analysts all over the world are deeply concerned about what does this mean for the global financial system. So right now, Credit Suisse is one of the most important banks in the entire planet right now. And you want to you want to follow this. And, and if you're not familiar with Credit Suisse, it's the second largest bank in uh, Switzerland based in Zurich. And it is a systemically important bank. Its failure will be a domino that triggers all the other dominoes. And we're also hearing about problems at Deutsche Bank, which is Germany's big bank. And they, they've been in trouble for years, but we're hearing uh, that these banks may be on the verge of collapse. And if it happens, it's going to make Lehman Brothers look like nothing because this bank is way bigger than Lehman Brothers. And uh, there's no question now. It's all being talked about. This bank, one of the largest banks in the world, is in deep trouble and is fighting for its survival right now. Now, when Lehman Brothers collapsed in 2008, it had $639 billion in assets. Well, in late 2022, Credit Suisse currently has $1.5 trillion in assets. Now, how do we know they're in trouble? Well, you look at their credit default swaps, which is the cost to buy insurance on their debt. has skyrocketed. Well, who's buying that and pushing the prices up? Most likely Wall Street and other European banks that are counterparty to all this debt that Credit Suisse has. So they're trying to, to scramble to get some insurance on this before they collapse. And that's a telltale sign. I watched the credit default swap market for these banks And then I watch the stock market to see what the stock is doing. Well, credit default swaps, the price on the credit default swaps for Credit Suisse uh, is as high as they were prior to Lehman's collapse, if that tells you anything. Um, And last weekend, uh, Credit Suisse was scrambling over the weekend to assure their big big depositors that, 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 that they were okay. Um. 
And uh, their equity that the bank has now compared to the liabilities is, is nothing. So I'm looking at the chart of the stock of Credit Suisse. Uh, now, uh, it closed on Friday at $4.85. And that's after bouncing a little bit. Uh, on Friday, it was as low as 4 uh, in January, it was $10 uh, a share. So it's down 65%. Uh, it was 14 um, uh, last year. Uh, then I looked at Deutsche Bank. Deutsche Bank was 17 in January of 2022, the beginning of this year. Uh, it's $7.67 now, down 43%. Um. I looked at the shares of another bank that uh, there's rumblings that have issues. Uh, HSBC was $38 in January. It's $26 now. So uh, there's issues with uh, this. And whenever you hear rumors like this, it usually follows through. Uh, Something happens. Now, then I looked at the charts of uh, U.S. banks just to get an idea what they're looking like. So I looked at J.P. Morgan. Uh, J.P. Morgan uh, in January was $165 a share. It's a, it's 105 and change now. That's only 25% down, and that's kind of in line with the market itself. So that's not a big deal. Uh, I looked at Bank of America. It was $50 in January. It's $30 and change now, down 40%. Uh, that's a little more concerning. Uh, I even looked at the bank I do business with, PNC. Uh, they were 220 in January. They're 151 now. They're down 31%. But let me tell you, if you have a failure of Deutsche Bank, well, let's put it this way. If Credit Suisse goes under, Deutsche Bank goes under as well, and now you have those dominoes falling all over the place. And uh, where there's smoke, there's fire. Trust me on this one. Uh, so one of our listeners, and, and the big concern I have about U.S. banks is their derivatives. That's bets. These are these big bets that they have with other banks. And that's how this whole banking system has been wired for risk. You know, one domino falls, they all fall because it's, it's, it's like them all being wired together. A shock goes through the system, and it's due to derivatives. Now, one of our listeners sent me an incredible resource uh, um, on banks ranked by derivatives. And these numbers are not only gargantuan with U.S. banks, uh, they're downright frightening. So what bank has the most derivatives? J.P. Morgan Chase. They have not $57 million in derivatives, not $57 billion in derivatives, $57 trillion value of their derivative holdings. I can't even envision what that is, how much money that is. How much do these derivatives have to move before all the capital J.P. Morgan is gone? I don't know. Number two, Goldman Sachs. Well, these are two of the the biggest Wall Street banks, right? Uh, $50 trillion. Next is Citigroup with $46 trillion. You got to realize all these banks are on each side of the bet. City Citibank is betting interest rates go up. JP Morgan's betting interest rates go down, and they have a contract between them. If interest rates go up, you pay me. 
If interest rates go down, I pay you. But all it takes is one bank to say, I don't have the money to pay you. And then the whole thing falls apart, like it did in 2008. Am I telling you this is going to happen? No, but I'm saying it could, especially if we have bank failures in Europe, because part of these derivatives are linked to European banks. Next is Bank of America, $22.6 trillion. Oh, they only have $22.6 trillion. They must, they must be really healthy. Uh, Wells Fargo, $11.4 trillion. HSBC, USA, $1.5 trillion. Uh, PNC Bank, I got a little concerned when I saw this, $562 billion. And it goes down the line. All right. Uh, they list here a total of... 1,253 banks in the United States, and I have the exact amount of derivatives for all of them. Now, most community banks have, have some derivatives, but it's just in the course of doing business to offset some risk. Like you take a Provident Bank, a bank here in New Jersey. It's a relative community bank. Uh, it's got uh, $3 billion in derivatives. That doesn't scare me. $58 trillion does, uh, but this doesn't scare me. And this is Ocean First Bank, uh, $2.5 billion in derivatives. Uh, these are fine. These are not big issues. That's why we say go to a community bank because you're not going to have a bank with uh, $50 trillion in bets that if they go wrong, they're in trouble. <clears throat> so uh, that's banks for you. Um, uh, you know, I told people that, you know, the best place to have your life savings is community banks uh, or, or U.S. Treasury money markets, uh, just in, in case in the event that the worst happens, uh, which we are very, in unver- very unusual times. Now, somebody wants their young son um, to open up an account at a bank. I've been meaning to play this for you for some time. And he has $100, so he wants to teach the kid uh, how to open up a bank account. So he brings him to the bank, and this happens. Do I really have to do this, Dad? Stand now more than ever. You need to understand the importance of saving money. But Grandma said I could use this money to buy whatever I want. Okay, next, please. Go on, Stanley. I got a $100 check from my grandma... And my dad said I need to put it in the bank so it can grow over the years. Well, that's fantastic. A really smart decision, young man. We can put that check in a money market mutual fund. Then we'll reinvest the earnings into foreign currency accounts with compounding interest, and it's gone. Uh, what? It's gone. It's all gone. What's all gone? The money in your account. It didn't do too well. It's gone. What do you mean? I, I have $100. Not anymore, you don't. Poof. Well, well, what can I do to get back I'm my... I'm sorry, sir, but this line is for bank members only. I just opened an account. Do you have any money invested with this bank? No, you just lost it all. Then please stand aside for people who actually have money with us. Next, please. Hey! Hello, Mrs. Fardickel. How are you today? Making a deposit, are we? Great. We can just put that into your retirement account and make it go to work for you, and it's gone. (laughs) What? Sorry, yeah, that's gone. Please step aside for people who actually have money with the bank. Next, please. Dad! Hey, I'm trying to teach my son the importance of savings. You already lost his money? Oh, Mr. Marsh, don't worry. We can just transfer money from your account into a portfolio with your son, and it's gone! This line is for people who have money with the bank only. Please step aside. (laughs) <laughs> that's funny. Obviously, that's South Park. I've had this on my phone for months. 
I've been wanting to use it, but I thought today would be a good day to do it. And it's gone. And believe it or not, as funny as it is, uh, in the worst case scenario, it is gone. I always tell you I carry with me in my prep materials here uh, the report that was issued by the Federal Reserve, uh, the FDIC, and the Bank of England on how they would unwind these big banks with all these trillions in derivatives when the crap hits the fan. Uh, and uh, the way they're going to do it is the banks pay each other whatever they can in their derivative bets, and you're the last in line as a depositor. Oh, you're not a depositor in this report. I don't think they use the word depositor anywhere in this multi-page report. Uh, they use the term unsecured creditors. Uh, if you have money in a bank, you are an unsecured creditor. Just keep that in mind. Some economic news came out this week. Uh, unemployment numbers came out on uh, Friday. Always anticipated the markets react violently one way or another to it. Uh, and it was announced that um, uh, job growth, we had 263,000 jobs created, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Uh, these are one of the numbers that are BS most of the time. They just create these numbers out of thin air, and then they revise them months later. Uh, uh, this is not a good number, by the way. It's, it's uh, I think, the lowest it's been in like eight months or so. It's uh, a little lower than expected. They're expecting 275,000 jobs. Uh, the unemployment rate uh, dropped to 3.5% versus a forecast at 37 Now, how is the unemployment rate dropping? When you have uh, us entering a recession... Uh, 60% of CEOs of companies say they're going to be laying people off in the months ahead. Um, <clears throat> how's the unemployment rate go down? I don't know. Like I said, all this number is, uh, uh, they're pulled out of thin air, the birth death model and everything else. Uh, but the markets, that's one of the reasons why the markets were down on Friday violently. Uh, is they felt that that was kind of strong and that the Federal Reserve now, because unemployment is 3.5 percent, uh, is certainly going to raise interest rates three quarters of a percent in November uh, on their next meeting. Uh, and that's why bonds sold off and that's why the stock market sold off. Other troubling uh, news out there. Uh, Everybody's maxing out their credit card uh, as people are struggling to get by. Uh, people are starting to get desperate. Uh, total consumer credit rose $32.2 billion, well above the $25 billion estimate and well above $26 billion for the month before. So people are, are really uh, having to borrow money. And, and the problem now is that uh, consumer credit, uh, uh, especially credit cards, uh, the interest are at all-time highs right now, or are rising dramatically. And um, we're seeing, uh, this was the second largest monthly increase uh, on record. So people don't care that interest rates are so high on their credit cards. They're buying everything on credit. And this is at a time, we're not even in the holidays yet. And people are using credit for groceries. And I wonder how many of these people are never going to pay this credit card debt back. Uh, any excess savings people had uh, is gone. Any stimulus money is gone due to this inflation. Now, another interesting stat came out. Imports are dropping drastically. Remember we were talking not long ago that um, uh, there was 100-plus container ships off the coast of California waiting to come into port to unload? 
Right now, that has dropped by 75%. The number of ships coming into port has dropped by 75%. And we find retailers, Walmart, Target, they're all cutting their purchases and imports because they have excess inventory right now that they have to get rid of. And this is right in front of the, the holiday season. Let me tell you, this holiday season is going to be a disaster for retailers. It's going to be a disaster. Christmas is going to be very lean for a lot of families, unfortunately, this year. And it's certainly going to adversely affect the retailers. No, no question about that. Uh, the U.S. economy is in the process of imploding. And that's what we're hearing um, all the way through. Uh, and we're hearing companies come out and state things. Uh, this week, uh, AMD, which is a uh, uh, big chip producer, stunned investors. Uh, it pre-announced shockingly bad revenue and margin numbers, which really they just did it in August and they had to do it again, even worse. And they're saying that in September, the global economy fell off a cliff. Uh, also, um, they're seeing like the volume of companies buying computers and stuff and all that. So it's dropping like a rock because nobody's going to get hired now. If anything, people are going to be laid off. Federal Express leaked a pre-announcement um, that said that uh, everything's falling off a cliff for them. Uh, their shares fell 4%, and so did UPS drop when that came out. And they just announced two weeks ago they had to, they had to change guidance in the economy. So if shipping is going down, that means people aren't buying stuff, right? One good thing, we were talking about inflation in uh, used car prices, right? Uh, used car prices appear to, to be moderating finally. Uh, this is the first drop we've seen in two years. Uh, wholesale used vehicle prices fell 3% in September. Month over month. That's not a big drop considering how much they went up, but, you know, used car prices are going up a lot. That's because there was a huge shortage of new cars because of chip shortages. Now, new cars are coming into dealers right now, but nobody's buying them. A, it costs 50000 for a new car now. Who has the money for that? Uh, interest rates are higher, so if you finance the purchase of the car, and doesn't everybody... Uh, then your monthly payments are through the moon. You know, since the stock market uh, this year, $46 trillion in financial wealth has been lost during the great global market crash of 2022. In less than a year, $46 trillion has been wiped out. If that isn't a crash, uh, how do you define a crash? I don't know. So, you know, we've seen it in all markets. Stocks and bonds worldwide are down huge. I, and I don't even think it even really has started yet. When I first saw that number, I, I could hardly believe it. I mean, it's, that's, I mean, a trillion is a thousand billion. So 46,000 billion disappeared from people's accounts. It's accurate. I, I guess it is. Bank of America came out with it. Bank of America said this is one of the worst global bond market crashes we have ever seen. They calculate that 20% plus losses suffered by government debt investors over the last year are on par with post-World War I and 
World War II years of 1920 and 1949, and the Great Depression of 1931. This amount of money is just difficult to comprehend. It really is. Um, If you look at that, uh, the total value of goods and services, the GDP in the United States last year was $23 trillion. So the amount lost worldwide is twice the U.S. economic output. And that's because central banks have taken the punch bowl away. The wealthiest tech tycoons have collectively lost $315 billion over the last year. Wow, that's got to hurt. Um, Bill, uh, not Bill Gates, uh, Zuckerberg's lost half his wealth this year. Could happen to a better guy. And, you know, we've seen the same thing in the housing market, which has just started. I mean, the Fed policies of low interest rates caused the biggest housing bubble in history, and now it's bursting. Uh, it's, uh, it's not a good situation out there. And uh, thanks to the Federal Reserve, uh, grocery prices are up 13.5% this year. And um, more price increases are on the way, especially if we have energy going up. And, you know, Saudi Arabia announced that their uh, OPEC is cutting production. And we're seeing what we're seeing now is a currency crisis, basically. You know, all currencies out there are fiat currencies. There's nothing back in anything. So what is fiat money? Fiat money is government-issued currency that's not backed by a physical commodity like gold or silver. It's only backed by the government that issue it and their economy and confidence. And we've seen currency issues. We've seen currencies move this year. Unprecedented moves. Take a look at the British pound. It's almost parity with the dollar. I remember it took $2 to buy a British pound not too long ago. It's almost $1 now. Why is that happening? Because in England, their economy is falling off a cliff. Inflation is out of control. We've seen the euro drop precipitously. Now, the dollar index, the dollar looks like it's doing well, but it's only doing well because all these European currencies are falling like a rock. And you gotta, you know, you have to understand what fiat currency is. You know what fiat means? It means it shall be, whatever that means. It's a Latin word for it shall be or let it be done. So fiat currencies only are worth the confidence people have in it. Now every fiat currency is losing purchasing power rapidly because it's being created into oblivion. No worse place than here in the United States. And because fiat um, money is not linked to gold or silver or any kind of physical commodity, uh, it risks losing value due to inflation or it could become worthless in a hyperinflation. And inflation happens purely because of fiat money, money being printed without backing. And this started in 1971 when Nixon took us off the gold standard. When you have a gold standard, you can't create money that doesn't have gold to back it. 
So you have to be disciplined in how your budget is and, and everything else. You can't spend money you don't have. Well, once we came off the gold standard, that discipline was thrown to the wind. And now you have, uh, I said, there's a new axis, a new trading block, if you will, being formed to compete with the West. China, Russia, India, South Africa, Saudi Arabia, Brazil. And they're going to back their currency with oil. They're going to back their currency with gold. And fiat currencies can last a while. They can last a pretty long time, and the U.S. dollar has, as well as some of these other Western currencies. But sooner or later, it breaks. The market can't handle any more money printing. And, uh, you know, you could blame the Federal Reserve for this inflation and this money creation, but you really can't. The blame is on the U.S. government. The Fed's printing money because they have to finance the U.S. deficit because nobody else wants their bonds. So they have to print money and buy those bonds. There's a reason why the Fed has a balance sheet with $9 trillion worth of our debt on it. And they're going to continue to do it. They have to. And now that you have interest rates going up, well, the servicing of that debt becomes more expensive. Oh, by the way, it was just announced this week that the U.S. debt just crossed $31 trillion on the way to oblivion. All this stimulus, all this deficit spending. And Congress, Republicans and Democrats, aren't going to rein in the spending. You want to avoid hyperinflation? You want to avoid a crash of the currency? The only way to do it is fiscal discipline. And that may mean... Cutting Social Security, uh, uh, cutting the defense budget. But that's not going to happen. You and I know that. They have no interest in stopping spending. And we're going to turn into Zimbabwe. It's just a matter of when. And fiat currency, historically, 100% of the time, eventually goes to zero because people lose faith in it. And that's how you get hyperinflation where people want out of dollars into real things. And unfortunately, that's coming. And they can't stop printing money. That's the thing. They can keep raising interest rates. That doesn't mean they're not going to keep printing money and buying our debt. And um, and what inflation really is, is a loss of the currency's purchasing power. You're seeing it every day in front of your eyes. What a dollar would buy last year, it can't buy today. You're seeing it. You're seeing the result. We went a long time with the Fed printing money, increasing the balance sheet. You didn't see that inflation until it kicked in. Now you see it everywhere. And once that genie comes out of the bottle, it's pretty hard to put back in. And all the result of not having the discipline of gold-backed currencies. And unfortunately for the West, uh, that means decline. 
That means decline in, in, in world influence. It means economic decline for your citizens. It means uh, loss of value of assets that uh, 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 are, are tied to inflation, like bonds, real estate, things like that. And the next issue we're going to deal with now is skyrocketing interest costs for the government. I mean, you think, uh, you know, your, your $10,000 credit card uh, just went up 2% and you're going to have to pay more. Imagine having $31 trillion on that credit card. Uh, a difference of 1% is $310 billion. Now, we went from uh, very low interest rates uh, to now where the, uh, the 10 year is yielding close to 4%. You know, the one year is yielding over 4% right now. One year. You can go out and buy a one-year treasury bill uh, and uh, a treasury note and uh, and get 4% right now. It wasn't long ago you couldn't get three-tenths of 1%. So what does that mean? That means that the federal government's got to pay more interest on this $31 trillion in debt. And it won't be long before we're going to be paying $1.5 trillion a year, not for defense, not for Social Security, not for highways, but just to pay the interest on the existing debt. And where are we going to get that money? We're going to borrow it and add to the deficit. You see how insidious this is? It's locked in place now. It's locked in place right now. And we're just seeing the beginnings of it. All right, let's take a let's take a short break. Seven three two. Two three seven nine six two six is our call number. What do you think about this? Are you seeing it? We're all seeing it. We're all feeling it. My name is Lucy Katigli. Don't go away. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, a family-owned and operated premier septic installation and repair company with more than a decade of experience in the septic services. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer provides full-service maintenance and cleaning services, pumping septic tanks, repairing broken sewer lines, cleaning of grease tanks for restaurants, as well as real estate septic inspections, repairs, and installations. Phone 732-600-8721 or go to jerseyshoreseptic.com to learn more. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, top quality work at the most affordable rates. Although customers were already going online more and more over the past five years, the amount of people doing business online has skyrocketed since the pandemic hit. Visit mylocalcustomers.com. Hi, Sean Michaels to tell you if you're a business owner here at the Jersey Shore, Town Square can help you find local customers online. Town Square can help you grow your business faster. Premium website services, new leads every day, no contracts, subscriptions you can cancel anytime. Visit mylocalcustomers.com. That's mylocalcustomers.com. For details. Do you have a home to sell? Do you need to buy a home? Or maybe you would like to consider a career in real estate? Well, you need to contact my brother, Mark Skatigna. He's the broker manager of Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty on Route 70 in Manchester. Mark has helped so many of my clients with either the sale of their home or to purchase a new home. All of them could not have been happier with his help. What about an exciting new career in real estate? Maybe you're finding you have more time on your hands than you would like to after retiring from your full-time job and are also looking to make some extra income. With flexible hours to still enjoy your free time and income, that could be limitless. Mark could train you to be as successful as you would like to be and enjoy a rewarding career in real estate. For help with any of your real estate needs, as well as any information on a career in real estate, call my brother Mark Skatigna at Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty. His number is 732-657-6200. That's 732-657-6200. Mark Skatigna, Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty. Give him a call. You'll be happy you did. 
Are you currently retired or planning to retire in the next five years? Hey, Lou Scatigna here, certified financial planner, personal finance author, president of AFM Investments, and host of The Financial Position. Why not join me for a comprehensive financial review at my downtown Tom's River office? Banks are paying virtually nothing, and the stock market has become a risky casino. But there are ways to achieve reasonable returns without taking on big risks. Let me show you how. During our meeting, I will determine your net worth, find ways to maximize your income, and minimize your taxes. I'll review your estate plan and discuss strategies to protect your estate from nursing home costs. Managing your finances is more complicated than ever, but you don't have to go it alone. So make your no-obligation appointment today by calling 732-905-8100. That's 732-905-8100. Securities transactions through Lee Baldwin & Company member FINRA and SIPC. Registered advisory services through Fortitude Advisory Group. Call the financial physician now at 732-237-9626. Here's Luz Katigna. All right, we're in the home stretch. It goes so fast here on the financial physician. I call it the fastest two hours uh, in radio. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, remember, uh, if you're just tuning in now, boy, we had a lot to talk about today on today's program. Things that will affect your life in so many different ways. Uh, if you missed any of the show, uh, go to thefinancialphysician.com right after the show is over or anytime, and we'll have the podcast of this entire program. Uh, and uh, share it. Put it on your social media. Say, listen to this guy. He's talking about things that I haven't heard before. Uh, and it's going to affect each and every one of us. And I appreciate you doing that. Love your emails. Lou at thefinancialphysician.com. Lou at thefinancialphysician.com. I answer each and every email. You got a comment on something I said on this program. Uh, you have a personal finance questions. I'm getting a lot of calls from people wondering what to do with their 401k and stuff. I'll give you the best advice I can. Uh, uh, or you have any issue that I can help you with, uh, please feel free. Uh, uh, to call me at Lou at thefinancialphysician.com. Now, a lot of people, too, now in New Jersey here are filing for the anchor $1,500 property tax rebate. Uh, they don't know how to do it. Uh, at thefinancialphysician.com, I have a tab at the top of the homepage that says anchor rebate. Click on there. I have a video that I did uh, that shows you a tutorial on exactly what you have to do to file for that. If you go online and do it, if you call it up, it's just a matter of calling the 800 number and uh, putting the information in. But if you're online and do it, it's a little bit more complicated. You can see that at thefinancialphysician.com. Now, before I go to the phones, I just want to touch on something here that is very scary. Uh, The the headlines coming out now of Ukraine and uh, the mouth of the president of the United States uh, is downright scary. Uh, I mean, we're talking – I mean, Biden came out and said – uh, nuclear Armageddon is down the road, uh, or something to that effect. I mean, this, these are things that you do not say. And it's getting kind of scary now because, uh, you know, Biden's gaffes now are really starting to, to, to be serious. You know, uh, some of them are, uh, you can laugh at it, the guy's senile, all right. Uh, but when we have, we're a threat of nuclear Armageddon here, and we have, uh, a missing submarine that has nuclear weapons on it from Russia that just disappeared. Uh, and we got uh, Biden coming out and, and talking nuclear Armageddon. I mean, this is serious stuff. Uh, add to that uh, this headline. Uh, this doesn't scare the crap out of you. Biden regime is stockpiling $200 million worth of drugs for radiation sickness in case of nuclear emergency. They are getting ready for thermonuclear war. I mean, are you kidding me? Where's the de-escalation here? Everything that's being done now is an escalation. You saw what happened yesterday, the bombing of that bridge from Russia uh, uh, into Crimea. Don't think that Ukrainians able to do that alone. Come on. 
You don't think Russia doesn't know who's behind it. We are at war with Russia right now. Forget a proxy war. We're at war. Don't you think U.S. special forces are in Ukraine? Not to mention we're giving them all the advanced weaponry and $100 billion worth of money. We've given Ukraine more money this year than the entire defense budget of Russia itself. Think about that. Ukraine. I don't care about Ukraine. Do you care about Ukraine? I don't. What's our national interest in Ukraine? That, A, we'd give them $100 billion. We're bankrupt. I just said we're over $31 trillion in debt. If you're going to give $100 billion to somebody, why not use it for homeless vets or something like that? Rebuild Florida, the hurricane. I mean, I'm sure we could sure up some Social Security with that. Or how about use it for our defense budget? We're depleting our own weaponry to dangerous levels, we're hearing. And we're giving it to this guy, Zelensky. Where is the anti-war movement here in the United States? Where's the Democrats coming out and saying, oh, we got it. We can't do this. Where's where's I mean, we're not talking about just war here in Afghanistan. We're talking Russia with 5000 nukes. Saying they're going to use them if they have to. And why are we putting them against the wall? Now, Zelensky came out. This guy, he is not a good guy. This guy is dangerous. Zelensky is a Nazi. Zelensky is a dictator. Zelensky was put in air as a puppet for the United States and the West through a coup. Thank you, Obama. He eliminated all opposition parties. And uh, the Western media is making this guy out to be uh, uh, George Washington. He's not. And I want to know, they're saying that they don't see any of this money on the, on the ground, people that live in Ukraine. They don't see any of it. Where is it going, $100 billion? You know where it's going. It's going in people's pockets. It's going into a black hole. And how much of that money is going to the big guy? I like to know. Now, Zelensky came out on Friday and said that the West should preemptively strike Russia with a nuclear weapon. Are you kidding me? Who is this guy? This is the kind of guy that, that that's in the in a school playground with you that think that that, that wants you to go beat up a bully that's bullying him, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. That's exactly what we should do. We should preemptively strike a country with five thousand two hundred and sixty whatever nuclear weapons already targeting major cities in the United States. I mean, what are people talking about? And we're buying radiation pills? Yeah, that's going to really help us as a nuke goes off in New York City. Yeah, at least we have radiation pills. Um, it's just ridiculous here. Not one person. You know, every one of the Democrats voted for the $40 billion. Nobody says maybe we shouldn't do this. I'm telling you, forget the markets. Markets aren't going to matter. It's just amazing the disaster that Joe Biden has created. Think about it. Think about all the things. Just in two years, not even two years. On day one, he closed the Keystone Pipeline. How's that working out for us right now as you're filling up your gasoline? And OPEC is cutting production. The first day, he rejoined the Paris Accord. Now we have all this climate issue stuff. 
Gas prices doubled. Biden's a disaster. Real disposable income down 11%. Home ownership affordability down 30%. Credit card debt up 19%. Monthly savings down 75%. Declining real wages. Food costs are up. Eggs, butter, flour, everyday stuff skyrocketing. Use heating oil to heat your house up 69% this year. You better get a couple of good sweaters. Airfare up 33%. Natural gas bills up 33%. Electricity up 16%. Oh, wait a second. It's starting to get cold. It was 37 degrees this morning. Wait till you start seeing your, your utility bills. Um, those are the domestic imp- uh, impacts. What about internationally? Would there be a war with Russia right now in Ukraine if Trump was president? Would North Korea be uh, resuming missile tests over Japan? Would China be threatening Taiwan to evade Taiwan? Would Iran be accelerating in nuclear activity? No, none of this stuff would have happened if Joe Biden wasn't president. I don't care if you're Democrat or Republican. It doesn't matter. I don't care if you like Joe or not. This guy is a disaster. And we're all paying the price. People still like Joe. All right. All right. As you pay $80 to fill up your car. All right. You like Joe. <clears throat> As you go into your basement or a fallout shelter because of nuclear Armageddon. And, of course, uh, 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 they had to walk it back. I mean, what kind of presidency is there? Every time the president speaks, the president's people have to come out and walk it back lamely. Listen to the president's spokesman, Pierre. I mean, this, this, this woman is... God, I never thought I'd wish Peppermint Patty was back, but this one is so lame. Listen to her dancing around this. Did the president plan to use the word Armageddon? Why did he choose that particular reference to Revelation 1616? Okay, so Russia's talk of using nuclear weapons is irresponsible. And there's no way to use uh, to use them without unintended consequences. It cannot happen. Uh, we, want, we won't be intimidated by Putin's rhetoric. We have not seen any reason to adjust our own nuclear posture, nor do we have indications they are preparing to use them. But Putin can de-escalate this at any time, and there is no reason to escalate. Did that answer the question? The question is, why did he use that word Armageddon? She never answers the question. She opens up her notebook and reads something totally different. But I'm telling you, people, this this is serious stuff. I mean, I, it's, you know, I'm afraid to go to bed at night. I wake up in the morning. First thing I do is I get on my online and see what's going on in the world. Now, of course, U.S. intelligence says, no, we don't see anything there. But why do you say it? That's a scary part. All right, 732-237-9626. Let's go to Joe, who's calling us from Lakewood. Joe, how are you? Uh, my name is John. John, I'm sorry, John. Yeah, that's, right. that's no problem. I'm a former uh, former manager for a production insurance company. Uh, I, the, the, you were talking about investments. You were talking about the uh, the deficit at 31 trillion. Uh, you're talking about the market going down 25, 26 percent. Uh, the only thing I could say is this: for anybody, uh, my advice, and that's why I called um, for anyone, anyone who has any type of variable investments, like for example, I have variable life insurance uh, or variable mutual funds or whatever the case may be. 
Everybody's panicking right now. Everybody's panicking, and they have good reason to panic. I mean, you know, the, you, you, you hear about Armageddon, you hear about this, you hear about that, you hear about oil prices, you hear about the, the, the Saudis, uh, they're cutting uh, two million a day in, in, in barrels. I mean, you know, everybody is panicking right now. But the only thing I can say is this, simple thing, dollar cost average. No matter what goes on, no matter what goes on in the bond market, no matter what goes on in, 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 in treasuries, no matter what goes on in equities, dollar cost average. Because the runoffs are coming up in November. I don't think the Democrats, uh, the Democrats are going to get elected. I don't think. The Democrats are going to get elected. I believe sooner or later we're going to get the House and we're going to get the Senate, the Republicans. I believe that. Now, I could be wrong, but I believe it. Things will turn. It may take about five years. I know it sounds stupid. It may take five years, but dollar cost average. John, what you're you're saying. don't Don't lock in your losses. Too many people are selling. They're locking in their losses, and they're locking in losses that they'll never get back. The whole key behind dollar cost averaging, as you well know, Lou, the whole the whole key is shares, owning number of shares. Hey, John, I, I got limited. John, John, I, I heard you. I, I got limited time, so I, I, yeah. you're absolutely right. If you're an accumulator of assets, dollar cost averaging makes sense because you're buying low, you're buying high, it averages itself out. Exactly. If you're putting a fixed amount every month or so into the market, that's fine. Like if you have money in your 401k, keep putting it in, in stock funds and everything else. That's yeah. fine. And that's exactly what somebody should do. And that's good advice. The okay. problem is, what about the people who are retired now and are not investing anymore? Well, I'm retired. But well, you're still investing? You're still dollar cost averaging at this stage? I'm still dollar cost well, you're, averaging. You're you're, you're in the minority because people don't have the income to do that. So the yeah. big problem is people who are already invested. They're not dollar cost averaging. They're losing their shirt and they're losing their retirement. Right. And that's right. why they're panicking. So okay. you're absolutely right with the accumulator. That's a fine strategy. The problem is the people who already have assets, uh, uh, they have a big Different problem than 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 dollar because cost. Because they don't have the money to put in. Exactly. All right. Yeah. Thanks for the call. Good advice. Okay. Yeah. Good advice. Yeah, okay. All right. Um, yeah, it, it is good advice for an accumulator. Uh, if you, I tell people, you know, I've told people in the past, you know, you have too much in the stock market, take it out, but still have your contributions go in because they're going in and they're dollar cost averaging. All right. Let's touch on uh, some of the craziness that's going on now. Did you hear about PayPal? PayPal really shot themselves in the foot this weekend. They came out with new terms of service, and they said that uh, they would take $2,500 as a fine out of your bank account based on the spreading of misinformation. Are you kidding me? People are freaking out about this. So if PayPal believes that you're not woke enough, they're going to say, hey, you're you're spreading misinformation, so we're going to take $2,500 out of your account. Well, what's happening is people this weekend are shutting down their PayPal accounts, and I'm shutting mine down tomorrow, and they reversed course yesterday. Uh, They said, no, 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 we're we're not going to do that. Well, it's too late. The fact that you would even publish this as your terms of service uh, is enough. You talk about censorship gone awry, and believe me, this is what's going to happen with digital currencies. Once we go to a digital currency, the government's going to be able to take your money or shut your money off. Outrageous. Uh, what other craziness is going on? Uh, oh, Joe Biden, um, uh, he's got a message for everybody. 
It's good. It's it's get it's getting uh it's really starting to get ridiculous with this guy. And he said it twice. He didn't correct himself. My God. Uh, we are in so screwed up right now, it's just beyond belief. It's all it's just beyond belief. Um what else do we have here? Oh, let's before we end the show, uh Planned Parenthood just put out a new commercial. Now they're in the gender business now. Not only are they in the uh the child killing business, now they're in the gender business. So they just put out a new commercial for kids. There's no one size fits all puberty experience. If you're trans, intersex, or non binary, know that you're not the only one feeling confused. For some intersex people, puberty may start later than age fourteen. You might experience some of puberty's changes and not others, and your body may or may not go through puberty on its own. There are medicines you can take to help your body start the process, like hormone replacement therapy. Some people decide on hormones or surgeries to help their bodies match up to their gender identity or how they feel inside about themselves. Your gender identity is real. You should be the one to decide what changes you want to make to your body. If you're transgender or non-binary, you may find that your puberty experiences don't line up with your gender identity or how you see yourself. That feeling can be uncomfortable, scary, and stressful. If that sounds like you, know that you're not alone. There are medicines you can take to delay puberty for a while. I'm not going on anymore. That's enough. You get the idea. This is Planned Parenthood. This is the most evil organization on the planet. I mean, it really is. Uh, it is the most evil organization on the planet. Uh, let's see. Do I? How much time do I have, Paul? You got a minute? All right. Boston's Children's Hospital are saying that babies are transgender in the womb. So most of the patients that we have in the GEMS clinic actually know their gender, usually around the age of puberty. But a good portion of children do know as early as seemingly from the womb. And they will usually express their gender identity as very young children, some as soon as they can talk. They might say phrases such as, I'm a girl, or I'm a boy, or I'm going to be a woman, or I'm going to be a mom. Kids know very, very early. So in the GEMS clinic, we see a variety of young children all the way down to ages two and three, and usually up to the ages of nine. When they come into the clinic, they'll see one of our psychologists and we'll be talking to them about their gender. We'll be talking to their family about how to best support that child and how to make sure that that child has the space and support to explore their gender. Where does it end? I mean, these are the people running. This is a hospital in Boston, Boston Children's Hospital. Children as young as two. When did this happen? When did it, when did we switch over from normal world to the insane, where children now at two years old are being counseled on this? It's insanity. How about this? New York University professor, organic chemistry, was fired because his course was too hard. Kids were complaining that they failed. Um, so they fired him. They were not. Be, they were not given the grades that would allow them to get into medical school. <laughs> Sanity. We live in an insane world. Uh, I'm not far right. I'm just right so far. That's why you listen to this show. Uh, anyway, it's the end of our two-hour program. If you missed any of it, you missed a lot. Go to thefinancialphysician.com where we have the podcast. It'll be up shortly after the program. Uh, love your emails, uh, Lou at. The Lou at the Financial Physician. 
Radio.com. You want to make a consultation with me? Now more than ever, it's time to review what you're doing in life. 732-905-8100-732-905-8100. Have a wonderful week. Enjoy me next Sunday. Maybe next Sunday, maybe not, for the next edition of The Financial Physician. Have a great week.